this was about as bizarre and as easy as it gets. So the number for me was a number that would allow me to never have to work. I feel like we got top, top, top. I went from a sale of you know five hundred thousand dollars to in debt. One hundred ninety-two million dollars. This is Built to Sell Radio with your host John Warlow. Okay, so what are the numbers on your company's dashboard? My guess is you look at your company's revenue and profitability, which are two great metrics to track, but there are another eight key drivers of the value of your company that go well beyond just revenue and profitability that are the things that acquirers want to know about. Going and getting your value builder score will help you look at your business through the lens of an acquirer. It takes about 15 minutes to do. Go to valuebuilder.com to get your score. You know, the hairs on the back of my neck kind of go up when I hear people say that businesses shouldn't be built to sell, they should be built to last, that they should be purpose-driven and not profit-driven, and that they should try to you know, change the world, but you know, never the owner should ever sell uh, because that is a money-grubbing thing to do. For those people who hold that attitude, I have Connie Fenyo to introduce you to. Connie is the f- owner, was the owner of Die and Durham a company which she'll explain to you in in a moment. But as she will describe, she took tremendous risk and went through incredible hardship to get her business to a point that it was for sale. She sold it for the number she dreamed of, and she earned every penny. Here to tell you the story is Connie Fenyo. Connie Fenyo, welcome to Built to Sell Radio. Yeah, thanks, John. Happy to be here. Die in Durham. What did you guys do? It sounds like an accounting firm, Die in Durham, <laughs> but it wasn't, was it? Tell me what, what you guys did. Well, uh, if it was an accounting firm, it'd be a lot easier, but it, it really is a multifaceted business, John. Um, the company itself is quite old. It was incorporated in 1874. So that a number blows of my owners- mind, by the way. Yeah, we were one of BC's oldest companies, and uh, actually one of BC's largest companies owned by women. We were, I guess I was fortunate enough to make the uh, top 10 list, top 10 employers in BC, um, business in Vancouver, uh, several years in a row. So we had- Fantastic. So what did you guys do? um, We did uh, a number of of services. We did, uh, it was really a land, uh, well, I guess you could say it was a manual search and registration business. We searched- public records, and we filed documents. So, you know, over at the land titles office, we filed documents, mortgages, personal property registry, manufactured homes, uh, corporate registry. Who would buy that that service? Like, who's a customer? Uh, Who would have been? It would have been lawyers that would have used that? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Any lawyer. In fact, most most law firms in the province we, we did business with. We also ran the largest and most extensive purpose serving company in BC as well. So uh, we looked after the uh, uh, Insurance Corporation of British Columbia. So every time uh, anyone ran a red light in the province, it was our company that actually served the tickets. Uh, it, was, it, was a, it was a very interesting business, uh, for sure. I mean, very, very multifaceted. And uh, I was really fortunate to have a, a fantastic group of people um, and I guess what happened is, is when we when we sold it, when I ended up selling it, it it uh, it really became a, a legal software solutions provider, and uh, we had developed a global due diligence division that sort of expanded the reach um, across Canada and, and globally. So that due diligence division uh, took off like a rocket. So it was a it was a I guess you can say I guess you can say it was like taking a uh, uh, a travel agency and making it into an Expedia.ca. And that's really what we did for uh, searching and filing of public uh, records for our clients on behalf of their customers. Okay, that's super helpful. So it was a very manual company when you bought it, and it became very a very much. technically driven. Just briefly, it. because it started in 1874, I can say with a high degree of, of confidence that you did not start it. So <laughs> how did you end up becoming the owner of it? Explain that to me. <clears throat> uh, sure. Yeah, actually, two guys started it. Sydney Dye and Shirley Durham. It was, uh, they ran it out of the back seat of their car. They had a printing press. And they sold printing services. That's uh, that's, that's 
really how it how it started. And uh, in fact, one of my customers gave me a business card back when telephone numbers were only four numbers, and he was so proud that it was uh, printed by Diane Durham. It was a colored colored business card, uh, printed in in, uh, in in nice glossy colors. But uh, no, I was the uh, executive vice president for the company, and I had run the uh, search and registration division, and I was traveling back and forth between British Columbia and Ontario. I did that for a number of years, and uh, I'd helped the the owner sell off. They owned several companies at the time, and uh, I had worked with them uh, on some of their their, uh, their uh, selling of the businesses, and when it came time to look at uh, our business, I thought, well, well, why not? I mean, I'm ready. I've been running it. Uh, I know the people, I know the employees, I know the stakeholders, I'm pretty much aware of all well, the skeletons that are there in the closet. And so uh, the, I, the why I not is, is the it. number though. Okay, so so let me know how you, so the why not obviously is like, that's, I'm assuming it would be a lot of money. So how did you, I, I've got so many questions around that. How did you come up with a valuation for the company as it, as it was when you, when you chose to buy it? John, I wish I had read your book before I bought the company, and I wish I had read your book after you know before I sold the company. Uh, I didn't know anything about about buying businesses for myself. It was such a scary time. Uh, bought it in two thousand and eight. The whole kind of financial world was imploding. Um, I oh, had yeah. a deal. Well, well, at that time, I mean. Uh, it was a it was a very uh, you know world banks around the uh, you know around the globe were experiencing significant difficulties. I actually had a deal and it was uh, it was uh, sort of ripped up and we had to start from the beginning and I had to find more than a million and a million and a half dollars overnight. That's on top of the loan that the bank uh, with the bank I already had. So where does one go and get that kind of cash and how? How do you get, and, and the purchase price was significantly greater than that. So uh, I, I learned about uh, different kinds of, of ways to buy companies in a, in a hurry. Uh, Teach me. I wanted that deal to go through. Yeah, for sure. Teach I mean, me. Learned, learned about, well, learned about angel investors, learned about vendor take back, learned about okay, so, so those are some financing. T- Okay, so I need to I need you to explain those to me. So you guys, so you, so you arrived at a price. It sounds like what led we, to the the price the price went up, or you needed to find another million and a half dollars. Well, I had a I had a deal uh, with with one of the banks, one of the registered banks, but it was a very uh, tenuous time in October two thousand and eight. Uh, you know, world from a financing sure. point of view for the world, uh, and so. Uh, the deal that I thought we had is not the deal that 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 I actually had, and so uh, I needed to find in order to complete the purchase, I had to come up with you know additional cash in order to complete it. Uh, arriving at the selling price, I thought we had arrived at the selling price, and then the whole working capital conversation happened. I needed to come up with more cash than I, I actually didn't think. Uh, I would require, and so uh, that's when I started to look at some of the other options. I, I decided that uh, angel investors were not for me. I didn't. I didn't want other people uh, sort of uh, demanding the the kind of return that would be necessary. I really wanted. I knew the business. Uh, you know, we'd have to build the business. We'd have to transition the the company. There'd be a significant amount of investment that would be required to transition it to an electronic. Uh, online uh, company as opposed to a very manual intensive business. I didn't want other owners, so uh, that that option was was out. Uh, subordinated debt financing, mezzanine financing. Uh, there's there's quite a an arduous process you have to go through. I mean, uh, those financiers are very very uh, very intense in terms of of uh, what they're looking for in your interest rates are significantly more. I mean, you're, you're at 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17%. Con- Connie, uh, can you describe for, for folks who've never heard of mezzanine financing, what the difference between a traditional bank loan is and what a mezzanine financing would be? Can you just describe it in, in layman's terms? 
Yeah, sure. Uh, a bank will usually look at your assets. You will be required to put something up personally. Uh, usually it's the receivables of a company and they'll agree to loan you a certain amount at a competitive rate. And that's what, you know, the big five banks we're talking about, you know, TD, uh, BMO, Royal Bank, sure. CIBC. <clears throat> but when you go to um, subordinated debt financing, these are, uh, well, this would be like Van City. This would be like a, a number of, of uh, other financial institutions that will lend you money and they will uh, usually take a uh, subordinated position to the primary lender, which means they Meaning, are second in line. Yep. They are second okay. in line. The, the, the top tier banks will always want to be first in line. If anything, if anything goes wrong with the business, they will want their cash. You've got to make sure that they are taken care of. And because subordinated um, l- lenders are, are second in line, there's a lot more personal uh, investment required of you in the company. And because it's more risk, their interest rates are significantly higher. When you say uh, you know, personal it, investment, Connie, do you mean a do you mean like a do you mean a um, uh, a personal guarantee that the mezzanine yeah, financier is for asking sure. for? Personal personal guarantee. I mean, you, wow, have kids, so you, you grand, grandkids. I mean, it's it's, uh, it's scary. It's scary when you think about it. But but okay. So let's go back to your. Yeah, sure. Let's go, go back to your story uh, for a second. Two thousand eight. Um, yeah. You know, the world's coming to an end. You've got a deal. It falls apart. The bank says, no, yep. we're not going to do that deal. We need you to, you know, we need you to put more money in. What, yeah. Where'd you get the they, extra they money? Didn't, yeah, they didn't, they didn't say they're not going to do the deal. They just said they're going to give me some cash and I've got to go and get the rest somewhere else. Uh, where'd you get the so rest? That, uh, well, I went to a subordinate debt lender. I went to Vanson and uh, they were, they were fantastic. At the time I was dealing with Axel Christensen. A uh, very thorough, wonderful man, and uh, really, really took great, went to great lengths to understand the business. Um, if the business isn't a typical business, it's not the typical mom and pop that you would, with a, a straight, a simple product line that, that uh, makes sense. I mean, we would finance, uh, really, I mean, if you're going to buy a house, there's the property transfer tax that have to be paid, and and we would pay that on behalf of our legal clients. Uh, it would be in yeah. trust, of course, but we would that would mean our, our bank line would be fluctuating, you know, up and down hundreds of thousands of dollars. And that's, that's a scary thing if you don't understand the business. So, Connie, how big uh, was the company in 2008? Like how, how much revenue or number of employees? I'm just trying to get a sense of how big it was. Well, we had uh, five branches in British Columbia and we had more than 200 employees. Got it. Okay, so this is a good sized company. It, it, in two thousand eight, yep. you you do the deal, some bank debt, some mez debt or mezzanine financing. Yep. Uh, and then, did you and also then vendor, personally? Yeah, to- vendor take back. I, I went. <laughs> and, I went to the the seller and said, "Listen, I can't come up with the cash. Can you loan it to me, and I'll pay it back to you over a period of time?" Which and which it, the which the which uh, you know the owners graciously agreed to do. What proportion of the sale price was in a vendor take back? I would say almost, almost 40%. Okay. So a big, so how did, so, so you, you basically, what's that? It was a big big chunk. chunk. Right. So you've got, you buy this company and you've got a lot of, oh, my other question is, did you have to personally guarantee the debt? Yeah, I did. <laughs> I okay. did. I mean, my home. My, luckily, at the time, I had a very understanding husband who said, "If this is really what I wanted to do, he would support me." But basically, everything we owned, we had to we had to put on the line. Wow, everything. I just everything. I just have this image of of the, you know the Las Vegas you know blackjack player when he or she kind of puts all the chips on the table and That's it's what like it was, all it in. was exactly yeah. like that except except the difference is I knew it was going to be a good company I knew I knew the people I knew I, I understand the threats that were facing the business I knew what we had to do I really I was comfortable with the the employees bless bless them all. I was so fortunate with, with all those wonderful people. And I, and I knew the stakeholders. And, and so I didn't see it as a gamble. Yes, I put 
everything I own. So yes, if, if you're the only difference I would say is that is that I knew it would it would it would win. I, so, I didn't doubt that. I didn't I didn't doubt that. Although when I think back about it now, it's like my goodness, what were you doing, Tony? But but at the time, I I didn't think that way at all. I knew it would be. I knew it would be good. I I just knew it. That's incredible. So what multiple of EBITDA? And, and if you if you can't answer this directly, I understand. But if you can kind of nibble at the edges and give us a bit of a sense, what multiple of EBITDA did you buy the company for? I'm guessing by the silence that you can't answer that directly, or are you just doing the math? So that directly, uh, but I bought it between two. It was a great, it was a great purchase price. It was a fair okay. purchase price at the time because the owner knew that it had to be transitioned. So it, it, it could have gone either way. It could have gone under. I mean, uh, several of our competitors in the same business did did go under. It was it was it was uh, it was turbulent times trying to tra- uh, transition that that company to what we ended up uh, what we ended up as, and, and it continues to grow to this day. So would it, and again, if you can't answer, I totally understand. Would it have been sort of less than five times earnings? When I bought it, it was less than five yeah. times earnings. Yeah, when I bought it. When I, when I sold yeah. it, that was different. Yeah. 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 Totally. And, and again, um, I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't ask you and, and you, you don't have to tell me, so that's totally fine. But I, but I'm trying to get a sense of when you bought it, um, sort of it, it, it was all in debt, mes debt, personal guarantee, the whole nine yards and a vendor take back for a big chunk. And you started to run. What? So how did the company afford to pay all of those interest payments was it a, a profitable company that, that allowed you to pay off Van City and the bank uh, kind of all along the way? Or how did you afford to pay the debt? Less of a, less of a cut. I earned more when I was working as, the, as an employee of the company than when I was the owner of the company. Uh, so some of my salary and compensation went towards repayment of the debt and the business itself, we worked to make it profitable enough that we could make those payments. Uh, it's strict. It really was any profit. We invested back in the company and we paid, and we paid the debt. Uh, there really wasn't any, anything else left after that. I mean, we took care of the employees, you know, that it's a service business, all, everything depended on them being able to provide the service. So it didn't mean it didn't mean any any cuts for um, for any of the employees except me, the owner. Uh, and then we 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 worked to pay it off with the proceeds from the business, and that's how it was for several years. And yes, we ended up paying it off. Was hell bent on making sure we paid off that mezzanine debt uh, first, uh, that high interest rate. I mean, everything we had, we sort of. Any cent we could get, and and it, it went towards payment payment of that first. Got it. So you're cutting your salary and 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 really making the business more efficient to pay down the mes debt. How? Because eventually, making this transition, in your own words, from a, a sort of a travel agent to Expedia in in the legal uh, kind of industry, how did you raise the money to invest in the technology to make that transition? We were very creative in our development. Uh, we we had a, a fantastic um, development team. We had uh, several law firm partners that worked with us on the development of our products, of our software applications. So I didn't didn't really charge them for the software applications. They worked with us to make it better. But of course, as part of the deal, they they didn't have to they didn't have to pay for it in those beginning beginning years. So we had we had a wonderful uh, group of partners that were uh, very interested in in helping us develop solutions that would offer you know better better solutions for their clients like a corporate record managing management system a conveyance system uh, an online ordering tool uh, so. We, we put the, and, and as we paid down the debt, we were able to put more and more into uh, 
the development and the technology and the research that was required. Uh, you know, we'll we'll get to, to exiting later, but it it was really a significant chunk that went towards uh, development, IT development, especially in those those transition years. I mean, everything we had to take it from a very 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 manual manual intensive paper paper. I mean, just think about anytime you think about legal documents, there's stacks and stacks and stacks of papers. I mean, we used to drive around the entire province picking up and delivering documents, paper documents to, to our customers, standing in line, filing in all of the, the different registries. We had to take that and put that all online. Fascinating. So let's get to the next stage. So how big did you get the company? Um, before you like when you decided to sell how how big had you gotten the company you, you were 200 employees or so when you bought it in 2008 what were you up to when you decided to sell it well i really can't uh disclose the sales but we had grown in sales every year since i since i purchased the company and that in itself is quite astonishing because we actually had to cut our prices uh, by almost almost 35, 40% at the time. When you are offering online services and you are offering uh, uh, direct access to, to government databases, your clients expect that one, it's going to be faster, and two, it's going to be more expedient, and three, it's going to cost less. And not only that, we had governments that were offering the same kind of services, and when they're offering it for free or or at a significantly reduced price, uh, we actually had to, to lower our prices. So the fact that we could grow the business, even though we had to lower the prices while we went through that transition, it was, it was a very, very interesting time. Very interesting time. And because we were able to, to put a lot of this online, we had several of our employees that were able to work from home. We ended up going to uh, some part-time flex time which actually worked out better for our employees. I mean, many of our employees have been with the company 25 years or more. We had something called a quarter century club. I mean, incredibly loyal, loyal employees. So transitioning them uh, to this whole electronic world, uh, you know, it, 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 was, uh, it was a very challenging, challenging time for sure. But even still, you managed to grow sales. Like I know we can't talk about the the number, but on a percentage basis between two thousand eight and the time you sold, did, did you you know was it up fifty percent or or I don't think we talked about how much sales you had in two thousand eight. So, but just on a relative term, I'm trying to get a sense. Like, did you double the size of the company or grow it by ten percent or just a sense of how much bigger it was when you sold it? Well, I'd, if I if I can get into it, we we had to we had to trans, we had to stabilize the business, and then we had to transition the business, and then we looked at and then we looked at growing the business. So what there was the stabilization, there was the transition, and then there was the the the, the growth, and being able to grow the business every year. If you if you look at that. That that particular growth and it was steady growth. Um, you know, we were running between three and ten percent growth per year with prices that were knocked down almost forty percent. So it was it was significant because not only did we have to make up that forty percent we lost, uh, you know, we we were able to grow it on top of on top of that. So if you had a in 2008, selling a service for twenty dollars versus 2016, selling the service for you know ten or twelve, uh, it it was a it was a significant fight. So it, it it's not a straightforward answer because you've got to you've got to make up for what you you lost in transitioning from paper to electronic and competing with government that is free or yeah. relatively reduced reduced cost. So we had to make up that that price difference and then we were able to do that and then grow it on top on top of that it's a huge achievement for sure what precipitated your decision or what triggered maybe is a better word your decision to sell the company well that's a good question john um 
I, I knew when I bought the business, I knew I knew I would exit the business. I mean, I, it was it wasn't you know, a, a very intense business. Uh, you had to be on top of legislation all the time, uh, and as governments became offering their services to the public directly online, uh, you know, we were looking at well, what could we do to add value to our services along these gateways, along these pipes. And then, so as well as becoming the pipeline, uh, so we were looking at what what could we do, and and that came at an enormous cost. And I knew that if we were going to to continue to grow, and we were the leading, we were we were the number one provider in in uh, in British Columbia in in this field. And if we wanted to grow and and grow and and, and remain viable, and remain uh, you know, at at the top, we would need to invest a significant amount into developing technology, uh, transitioning the business to a legal software solutions provider, and it is the leading software solutions provider uh, as we speak at at this time. If we were going to do that, it would require tons and tons and tons of investment. And there was just me; I was the owner. I had bought out 100% of the shares of the organization back in 2008. Uh, there's just no way I would be able to continue to put and invest those kind of that, that, that kind of dollars, that kind of coin back into the company in order in order to continue to to grow it. Every every government you deal with, whether it's it's here in British Columbia, across the country, whether it's the corporate uh, the corporate registry, the land title office, all of the the various court registries, manufacturing, all of them. Uh, you know, they all have their own, many of them have their own legacy systems, how you've got to connect with them, how you are in turn offer your services to, to your clients. It just it just became apparent that, that we were going to need some significant investment and not just, just a, not small, but, but significant. And so I knew that we would have to sell the company. I wasn't expecting to sell at the time I, I did. Uh, that came a lot. That, that kind of came much earlier than what, what I was, was planning. Uh, my husband at the time, uh, fantastic guy. I'm, 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 I'm so blessed to have had him in my life. Um, he, he got sick, and uh, it, that just came out of left field. We had a, a diagnosis of, of uh, terminal cancer, and uh, you know we were told to get our affairs in order. And uh, he ended up lasting uh, several years, which which we hadn't expected. But I was at the hospital. I remember working at the hospital doing RFPs. I was I was uh, you know with him during his his, uh, his treatment. Uh, you know, writing writing uh, proposals. Uh, it was just a lot. And then uh, and then he did pass away. And uh, for me, that was a. It was a, it was a real adjustment, and and uh, I, I really made me look at well, what do I want to do with the rest of my life, and and uh, how do I want to spend my time? I didn't position the company to sell it. Out, it was it was just amazing how the universe kind of falls into everything, kind of falls into place. I had an offer on the business. I I was speaking with with. Uh, Several people in the industry, and of course, we were a prime acquisition target. We were, we were, we had pristine government contracts. We offered stellar services. We had a fantastic uh, uh, customer base, and our employees were loyal and knowledgeable, and and treated the company like it was their own. Uh, it was a fantastic business uh, opportunity to buy, and so we had. I had one. Um, potential suitor that was sort of discussing taking over one one of the divisions and and then I had another uh, through a colleague of mine introduced me to someone else who who was interested in buying buying the company right there and then I entered into uh, you know I'd signed a letter of intent with that that second company I, I mean they they said what's your price I said what my price was and uh, I thought that you know that's only the beginning in a in a in an exit. That is only the beginning. But at that point, I didn't really know that. I I had I bought companies before, but selling I thought would be a piece of cake. And uh, 
wow, uh, that's that's a real understatement. But but um, so I, I signed this letter of intent, and while I was in discussions with that company, a third a third company, uh, you know, I ended up having lunch. They they talked and said, you know, they're really interested in in uh, progressing talks about buying, but I had already committed to the to the second company. So kind of out of nowhere, one, two, three suitors sort of came out of the woodwork and it all sort of fell into place very quickly. I didn't I didn't engage a broker to position the business to sell it. If I had done that, I certainly could have got a lot more for it than what I did. I mean a lot of lessons learned learned there in you know, you hear your price and you think, oh okay, well that's that's good. That's that's what I need. That sounds good to me. I mean, there's there's a lot more to it than that. So really, it was the investment of the uh, required to continue to keep the company sustain, you know, a viable company and continue to grow it. There was the issue with my husband's health and the realization of you know life is really short. What do you want to do with your life? And then and then we had uh, fortunately three. Three different suitors sort of come out of the. Uh, we had been in talks with one for a long time about working together in a partnership, and uh, and then this this second one uh, popped out and a very decisive uh, CEO knew knew definitely what he wanted, and uh, we we took the deal from there. How did you arrive? At your price, the second suitor said, "Okay, Connie, what do you want for your company?" And and you shared a price with them. I, I I understand you're not able to share that price, but I'd be curious to know what your thought process was in coming up with a price. Well, you know, John, I did not read your book before I I, I sold it. But what I did do is what the same thing as your character Alex did in a in a uh, in his uh, where he wrote down a price on a piece of paper and he stuck it in an envelope when I when I bought that company. Uh, I did the same thing. I wrote down. Did you really? I oh, did seriously. I did, and 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 that it wasn't really scientific, but that's the price that I thought. Okay, that is when I exit. That will be my. That will be my my selling price. Okay, and so what was what was the number on the piece of paper? And again, I know you can't tell me the number, but I'd be curious to know. Was it? 2x what you bought it for one you know 1.5 times what well, you it bought was, it for three times what you bought it well for. It, it, well the, the multiple of EBITDA was between five and ten so and it was a strategic when you buyer it. when I sold it and it was a strategic yep. buyer there all three suitors were strategic buyers and of course selling to the strategic buyers is, is much better than just just looking at a value investor as to what what it was on the book I so that but was, I got to know okay so let, well. go Go back to 2008 for a second. I love this idea that you wrote down your your eventual selling price. So, what was I your did. thinking? I talked, in- I talked to I talked to the CEO. I talked to the CEO of the company I bought it from. He said, "You're crazy," because we we, we were good friends. And he said, "You're crazy. You're never going to get that." And I said, "No, we'll see." <laughs> okay, so you're not going to tell me. How how much bigger it was than than your original buying price? I can't. You're you're such a good interviewer, John. But no, I'm sorry. I can't. I can't do that. But I can. I can. I can, uh, I can do my I job. Can share with you. It was it was a fair price. It was a good price. And and uh, you know the the company has gone on to to uh, acquire other businesses, and it's just it's just gone on to perform well. That base that we built is really carrying it forward. Fantastic. So let's get back to the the deal itself. So the second suitor, you signed a letter of intent, which I'm assuming, correct me if I'm wrong, had what the industry guys call a no shop clause, meaning you couldn't negotiate with the third suitor when they they came along. That's right. I was locked locked in. And, uh, you know, I I knew the business and I I'd gone through buying companies and I I, I knew, you know, I, I had my idea about selling price and I just didn't uh, realize how much I really didn't know uh, at the time. And if I, if I think about it, I, I really should have engaged the assistance of, a, of, a, of an M&A broker or, or someone that, that, that's done this. And, and it makes sense. If you want to do something, 
uh, speak to someone who's done it before and done it successfully, successfully, learn from them. And, and that's kind of the principle I've applied in my whole life, except when I, I sold, sold the business. Well, that's why we do the show, right? To share some of these lessons learned and, and so forth. So I appreciate you sharing it with candor. Um, so did, did the third suitor um, give you any indication of what they were willing to offer? Did, they, did it get that far with them? Yeah. Yeah, it did. And did, um, did, they, did they, they show that they, they would were, pay more? I probably could have got more. I probably could have. But I, I, was, I, was, I was locked in. Negotiations had started. I wasn't really, uh, really in a position. I had the price that I wanted, and I thought, really, do I want to? Do I want to break this off? Do I want to start all over again? I mean, I had my, I had my, my envelope price. So, uh, and I knew that this company would, the, the company that I was dealing with, I knew that they would, they would invest in technology. I knew that they would make it a, they would continue to grow it, and I know that they would make it a stronger company. So that was entertaining. It was an entertaining thought, but I, I, I really looked at it and thought, what, you know? And I'm sure third company, company C could have, could have done the same thing, but that would have been starting all over again, and it, and it would have been a gamble. It wasn't really a for sure thing. It was a nice discussion. It was a lot of interest. I'm sure, I'm sure we could have continued, but um, it, it made sense to 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 continue the discussions with. Who I was already in discussions with, it made sense. I, I knew what they were all about, and I knew the company would be a stronger company uh, after I, I sold it. So I stayed, so I stayed what, with Suter too. What did the acquiring company see in Diane Durham? Like, what were what did what was the strategic fit that made it make sense for them? Well, they bought the company and they kept the name. I mean, if you look at what our moat was, our moat was brand, 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 brand. I mean, the average person uh, would not be aware of who Diane Durham Corporation is, but speak to any lawyer, any law firm, anywhere across Canada. And uh, we've been there since the beginning. Uh, Diane Durham has been a staple of, of uh, the, the legal industry for more than 150 years. So it, it's it's definitely brand, brand, brand. We were the leading supplier in in uh, in BC, and and we were a premium premium company. We had excellent excellent um, staff. I mean, our employees, like I said earlier, many of them had been with the company 25 years or more. Uh, they were our customers, our customer relationships. I mean, many of these our employees and our clients. Uh, you know, they grew, they grew up together. It was, it was, uh, and we had the, the, probably the most comprehensive lineup of services. We were the one stop shop for, for, uh, for any, any legal firm. And that, that, that's worth something. If, if, if you're trying to break into the legal industry and you don't have any relationships, you don't have any history, you're, you have a product that, you know, it's got to be, You've got to get buy-in. We work with most legal associations across Canada. We knew them personally. Uh, you know, we had we had very uh, long-term government contracts for direct access to their data. Uh, you know, you're trying to negotiate a contract like that from scratch. You know, good luck. You're you want to try and build that kind of a client base. Yeah, good luck. I mean, but if you're already providing some legal services, this is just a natural, natural uh, yeah. The the acquirer, of course, was One Move Technologies. What maybe can That's you right. describe what they what they do, or or you know, like so people understand why they were interested in you guys? Well, they had a conveyancing um, division. They had a conveyancing. What, um, what does conveyancing so, mean? That's that's a word I don't I don't know, Connie. What does conveyancing mean? Okay, well, when you are buying and selling um, properties, you know, uh, and you have to look at title, you, you have to, you know, inspect and register documents, you know, plans at the land title office, you know, register your mortgage. They have the software that could do all of that. So I they see. were very okay. much, very, very strongly in, uh, very, very strong in, in the real estate, online real estate, um, 
solutions, uh, providing that to uh, law firm customers who would use that in dealing with their with their uh, their customers. So notaries would use that service as well as lawyers would use that service. And what our lineup did is it just rounded it all out. So if you're dealing with a uh, real estate uh, practice in a busy law firm, this now means you could do business with the uh, corporate area of practice. You could do business with the um, corporate and commercial. You could do business with the the uh, civil litigators, you could do business with uh, as well as as well as the computers, as well as the real estate group. So it just helped you round out your reach. It was a very strong reach into into the into the law firm. And how much crossover was there between one move, uh, their customer base, their the law firms that use one move, and the law firms that use die in Durham, was there a lot of overlap or were they really separate customer bases? Uh, very similar. Uh, a lot of our customers, I mean, we were the largest. So many of our, many of uh, die in Durham clients, uh, many of one of clients were already die in Durham clients. So for one move, it wasn't necessarily that they were acquiring a lot of new customers, but they could, they could, they could offer new services to their existing customers. Exactly. They could offer new services. They could put their product line into into uh, this customer base. And so it's a wonderfully extensive customer base. And they could and they could grow it. And you mentioned earlier that you know, you kind of implied that it was a longer process than you thought when, when you originally, you know, the CEO said, you know, what's, you know, what's your number? What's your price? What's your envelope number? And you, you said it and, and they said, okay, let's, let's go. You, you suggested, I think, if I'm reading between the lines that you thought the deal was done by that point, but it, it took a lot longer. Maybe describe, did I, did I interpret that correctly? That, that you misjudged how long it would take to actually get a deal done? Oh, John. Yeah, you you really yeah you interpreted that right. You hit the nail right on the head. I uh, and and for anyone listening, uh, the the price and the letter of intent is is uh, is the beginning. Uh, when we met with uh, the company, with the acquiring company, uh, I brought uh, there was me and I brought my my chief financial officer along with me. And uh, we walked into a room full of people. Uh, they had they had uh, their brokers uh, to to uh, conduct their due diligence from them, as well as several members from their executive team. And there was there was me, and there was my CFO. And uh, the the sheer volume of due diligence took uh, months. It it. Uh, and, and there comes a point where enough due diligence is enough due diligence. Uh, in fact, uh, twice, I think, I, I would have been ready to walk away from the deal. It was just that much. Uh, the, just the terms, all kinds of, all kinds of clauses that you, you, just, you just don't even think about. You know, taxes, how long you want to be responsible for. Like, there's just, there's just uh, I mean, the, the, when, when the deal was finally done, uh, I mean, I walked into the boardroom of my uh, lawyer who was, who was doing the deal for me, and there was piles and piles and piles of papers all around the boardroom table uh, that actually comprised the deal. I guess because we had had uh, most of our, our clients, we had contracts with every every single contract had to be vetted. You know, all of the, the deals we had with government, everything had to be examined from from head to toe a to z i's dotted t's crossed and and it was a full-time job on top of the the full-time job i had of running the company and it's easy to let the company slip when you're so caught up in in uh in running the uh in, in, in completing the due diligence and they had an army and and i had my cfo I mean, it was, and and my and and the uh, manager of my real estate division, he acted as a legal counsel and ran the uh, the real estate division for me. So there was the three of us working until the wee hours of the morning, during the week, on weekends, uh, trying to satisfy the the due diligence requirements of the acquiring company. 
you know, I had I had thought that, you know, they knew the company. I had thought they were familiar with the company. I thought the cursory documents we provided would be would be satisfactory. And uh, my goodness, no, 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 no. It was I just just found their appetite insatiable for for uh, wanting to examine every nook and cranny of the business. You know, and good for them. I mean, if I ever buy a business again, I will probably use the same the same company they use to conduct their due diligence because, my goodness, they, they went into everything. And you mentioned there was twice, there were two times during that period where you got so exhausted, frustrated, whatever the right word is, that you thought yeah. about walking away. Yeah, what did right. you do in those moments? What what who who kind of talked you off the ledge? Well, uh, into the process, uh, I contracted uh, BK Capital, and they are M and A advisors. Uh, Mike Kuyak was fantastic. He really uh, went to the other side and and really said, "Listen, you know how much is enough." And and uh, I think that's it. And sometimes it just means it just means uh, saying no. I mean, no, uh, that that's enough now. I mean, no, you, I'm not going to look any further. That's you, you should have what what is what is required already. And so uh, I had I had hired um, Mike um, and Alex over at BK Capital, and if I had. If I had to do this again, I would have engaged them right from the very beginning. You know, though, and, and same thing with my lawyers, um, uh, Clark Wilson. I used Don Sahoda over at Clark Wilson and, and Pratiba Sharma. And what a dynamic duo they are and, and highly recommend them for any deal anyone is considering. But I would, have, I, would have, I would have engaged them right from the letter of intent. I had signed some clauses in that letter of intent uh, that I wish I didn't. Uh, you know, I, I think I was too fixated on the, the price, and that that uh, sort of led me away from looking at all of the details, which I didn't think were very innocuous. I thought it was it was it was fine. I mean, I'd read a, thousands of of contracts in the business that I that I was in, and uh, should have engaged them right from the start. What were the terms that you wish you hadn't signed? Uh, I don't know if I can get into all of that, but, you know, freezing up your cash immediately. Uh, that's something that I don't think I would have agreed to. Uh, there was a, a number of other other clauses, and I, I really don't think I can get into that uh, with the confidentiality agreement that I have in place. Yeah, no, that's that's fine. If if you had a young entrepreneur who was going through their first exit and and they were reviewing their first letter of intent, so it's not a share purchase agreement. It's it's it really is at that LOI stage. What advice would you give her or him uh, as they were sort of reading through that letter of intent? What would you tell them to look for or uh, well, the, evaluate? The first thing. The first thing I would I would implore them to do is get a good team on your side. Don't sign anything until or agree to anything until you have had your your uh, your team review it. Uh, the slightest word change can legally change the meaning of an entire and concept that you think you've agreed to that you haven't. So I would definitely. You know, get yourself a, a great lawyer, uh, get yourself a great accountant, and get yourself a great uh, M&A advisor. Get a good team. Go through it. I mean, there's probably clauses you might want to add to the, the letter of intent so it doesn't become such a contentious issue when you're actually like getting what? into the drafting of the purchase and what, sale agreement. What might, what might you add to the letter of intent? Well, it could be anything. It could be the provision of royalties. It could be, you know, how long the company plans on keeping you. Uh, you know, you may be thinking you're exiting in a year. They may be thinking you're exiting in five years. Uh, it could be, it could be um, how they'll go about the transition. You know, how things will will be communicated. I mean, it's 
it's really imperative that there is a communication plan and, and you know you may allude to that in your in your in your LOI. I mean there's there's a number of, of considerations that you might want to think of. You might want to think about your cash. Do you need your cash right now? And if you do, uh, don't agree to, to freeze it up. If you need if you're you're thinking of um, you know you're in the middle of development in an item, you don't want to you don't want to freeze that. You want to you want to continue, or it may it may hinder your 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 chances at a contract somewhere else. So there is a number of of items that you should look for, and it's it's unique business to business. But if you have yourself a good team, they'll know what to look out for for you, and they're on your side. They're there for yeah, so- you. Well, well said indeed. I've never heard of this freezing cash business. Is that when the when the company the transaction is executed that there are some deals where the the literally the working capital in the bank is 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 or is it that there is there is a freeze on cash at the state at the LOI stage before the share well, there's, purchase there's agreement a, well, is transaction? Well, well, sometimes there's a freeze on what you can actually take out. So if you're if you're paying yourself by dividend and not salary, and you've agreed that you're not going to take any cash out, it means you personally are going to be not able to to uh, function very well. So you you need to seriously look at what the implications are. Uh, you may think it means something, but but your assumptions are always only an assumption. So get get someone who understands what the what the uh, what it means in legal terms and have them explain it to you in simple language. Yeah. All business owners think, of course, their retained earnings are like their money, right? And and all buyers think that retained earnings are are in fact part of what they're purchasing. Yeah, you got it. You're right. That's important to kind of work through. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, Connie, I I just think this story is is really... um, really unique and 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 I'm grateful for you sharing it. What what has um what have you bought yourself after this? You you got your number on the on the envelope. Did you buy yourself a trophy? Are you driving around in a I don't know, a Rolls Royce or something like that across the uh the streets of Vancouver? What what trophy did you buy yeah, yourself no, to I'm, celebrate I'm this not, win? I'm not I'm not uh, I'm not driving uh, a Rolls Royce, but what I did do is uh, on my on my list and, and I've I've had a list since I was 20 years old of, of of what I want for myself spiritually, what I want for myself, you know, materialistically, physically, uh, you know, intellectually, community-wise. I've been very very uh, goal-oriented since I was a very young girl. But one of the things that I that I uh, didn't get a chance to do uh, was was get over to India. So when the deal was yeah. done. Um, I agreed to stay on uh, for a period of time after that, but but after we did the deal, I needed a break. I mean, that intensive uh, due diligence process just about killed killed me uh, in terms of 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 sheer uh, exhaustion. And this is after years of exhaustion, uh, caring for a a very sick husband and running and and running a a, a significant size business. I mean, I, I had obligations. To employees, I had obligations to stakeholders. It was, it was, uh, you know, I did, I, it, it was um, being on for years and years and years, and I needed to switch off. So I ended up uh, taking taking a trip, and I spent a month over in India, and it was probably the best thing I could have done. Wow, fantastic! Did and, and did you travel all around India? Did you did you? Yeah, I went to an ashram. I I uh, I, I got few. pretty heavily involved in yoga. I went I went to, to see the different sites. I I uh, volunteered a bit while I was there, and yeah, it was it was, a month is not enough time ever. By the way, uh, I thought it would be enough time because I had only ever taken a week at a time maximum, uh, kind of while I ran the company, and so I thought a month would, would be forever but it went by in a in heartbeat how has has your emotional uh state been now that the the deal is sort of in the rearview mirror and you've had a chance to sort of reflect uh, how would you characterize your emotional sort of well-being about that you know today uh, with some water under the bridge well it's uh 
every owner coming in has their own ideas about what they want to do with the with the company. And I was very sorry to see uh, several people um, uh, no longer with the company after after I left. Uh, they were they were. I felt a uh, tremendous sense of obligation to these people who had helped me build this business. Uh, and and it was very very difficult for me to to see them to see them go uh, after after I had left. That was that was emotionally a very difficult difficult thing for me. Uh, but in terms of the company itself, I know it's I know it's a strong company. Uh, I know that they uh, the owners have gone on to acquire other similar businesses. Uh, I know that they've invested into technology, and I know that they're 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 moving forward. So, in terms of uh, taking that company and growing it, which I had hoped to do, I know I know that they're doing. So, uh, that is something I know I couldn't have done myself. So it's good. It's good to see that growth. Uh, so it's mixed. That, that that's mixed. And I'm and I'm and I'm uh, now at a point where the company is the company. It's not part of my life anymore. And that that's been a big adjustment. That company was my life for the longest time. Well said. What was the reaction of your long-term employees to the news that you had sold the company? Well, two. Uh, knew right away because I needed I needed them to help me just with the sheer volume of due diligence. Um, so my my chief financial officer and uh, my my uh, in house legal counsel. Uh, so they were incredibly supportive, and and the team the team was supportive. Uh, we were um, we were a family a family environment. Although we had you know. Uh, we had quite a few employees. I, I can certainly say I knew I knew them by name. I knew their families. They'd been with the company a long time, and I know that that uh, uh, it, it was it was hard. It was hard for me to to tell them, but they understood why uh, I had to sell. And if if I had continued to lead it without that investment, I don't know where the company would be today. So it was it was it was bittersweet. Did they know your personal story, the amount of risk you had taken to purchase the company, the health and ultimate passing no. of your husband? Did they know any of well, that? They, well, they, no, they didn't. They didn't. They didn't know what I had put on the line for that company. Uh, they didn't know. Uh, yeah, you know, they didn't know I'd taken cuts and pay. They didn't know. No, they didn't. I didn't share that with with them. Um, but they did know my husband was really sick. I mean, I'd been at the office all the time before before and I was spending periods of time away and I had regular town hall meetings. Uh, I, I believe in transparency uh, long before it became fashionable and we would have regular town hall meetings and I would share with them what was, what was going on. And they were, they were behind me. They, they supported me. I was very fortunate. I was very lucky. This is a uh, sort of a, a Hollywood movie kind of ending to the story. I, I'm so grateful that uh, you shared it with us and that it worked out as well as it did, just given the given the tremendous risk you took and and the roller coaster you went on. So I appreciate you sharing it. Yeah, it's been my pleasure, John. Really, it's been Connie, wonderful talking to you. And I hope your listeners get something out of this. If if nothing, oh, else, I know they will. Get yourself a good team. <laughs> yeah, you've got that. You, you've nailed that for sure. Connie, what's the best way if I don't know if you accept LinkedIn connections, if people want to reach out to you, um, is there a website you'd want them to go to or or do you want them to go to LinkedIn and, and, and yeah, for say now, hi there? Yeah, for now, sure. For now, just go, just go to LinkedIn. And, and you are on LinkedIn. I believe it's Constance. Fenyo, That's is that right. correct? That's right. That's Constance right. and it's Fenyo, F E N Y O. That's right. F like Frank, E N Y O. My mother thought the name sounded Rigo. <laughs> <laughs> well, that it does. Uh, Connie Fenyo, thanks for joining us. Okay, John. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to Built to Sell Radio with John Warlow. For complete show notes with links to additional resources, visit builttosell.com slash blog.
John is the founder of the Value Builder System. To find out how to improve the value of your business by 71%, visit valuebuildersystem.com. John is also the author of Built to Sell, creating a business that can thrive without you, and the automatic customer, creating a subscription business in any industry. Connect with John at facebook.com slash built to sell or on Twitter at John Warlow, W-A-R-R-I-L-L-O-W. Thanks for listening.